Welcome to the Sens Nation Podcast. Stoops the fake, drops back, Branson, Norris, the shot, tipped in front, and I think that's Batherson's goal. All right, that clip courtesy of TSN. Drake Batherson with your game winner as the Sens beat Montreal 6-3 on Tuesday night. Busy show on the way today. It's a three-game win streak for the Sens. Brendan Gallagher, one of the game's great divers, accuses others of being divers. Isn't that adorable? Is Matthew Joseph in the right spot on the right side on the top line? And suddenly, the Sens are making nice with the 67s and Red Blacks owners? Working together on a joint bid for the World Juniors will wonders never cease. All still ahead today here on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. Steve Warren along with the coach, Greg Kennedy. How are things, Greg? Things are good, Steve. A three-game win streak right off the bat. You mentioned it. Let's not even discuss the quality of the opponents. It's a three-game win streak. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah, you wrecked it for me now. I wasn't even thinking about that, but <laughs> okay, now that you see that. Yeah. Yes, Steve, I'm doing well, thank you. It's Masters week. Yeah, you got the you got the Masters golf shirt I, going I, there. Very I nice. Do, I do. Getting I right do. in the spirit. Oh, can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah, looks like Tiger's going to play. And, Don't uh, care. No, you're not a Tiger fan? Can't stand him. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I but thought you still, knew that. I forgot that if I knew that. <laughs> but it's a good thing, I think. Even to me, every great story needs a villain then, right? It, it, he better miss the cut or else it, it they just ruined the Saturday viewing because when he's like eight shots back, we're going to have to watch every shot he hits all day Saturday, all day Sunday, like when he's got no, he's not even in contention. Yeah, all right. That's an interesting take on things because I, <laughs> when I have, a, I always have more, I'm more invested when there is a black hat, a, a villain in the process because long before I was an Ottawa Senator fan, like, Day one, I'm an Ottawa guy. I latched on to the Senators because I thought my whole life, wouldn't it be amazing to have an NHL team in Ottawa? But that's a freaking pipe dream. That'll never happen. And then it did. So I latched on. But long before the Sens, I went through a lot of cycles as various fans of various teams. I was a big Montreal Canadian fan when I was little. And then I grew to hate them after a while. Good for you. And when I was, yeah, when I was hating them, I found an interesting phenomenon because they did so well every year. <laughs> That when in those years when they were eliminated from the playoffs, my interest level in the NHL playoffs took a hard dive because you have to have someone to root for or root against. And when I didn't have that, I kind of missed it. So if I didn't like Tiger Woods, I probably would still want him in there because uh, just, I don't know, every good story needs a bad guy. I'll be there cheering him to fail, but uh, there's still the chance that he might do well, and I can't handle that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that dovetails nicely into a discussion about villains. Of course, the Sens won in six, one six three in Montreal. A lot closer game than the score might appear, by the way. Brendan Gallagher certainly would be among the public enemies number one as far as Sens fans go. For about a decade, he's been a weasel. I think we can all agree he's a weasel. And I would also suggest that he is one of the better divers in the league. And he had the the dumbest most laughable, hypocritical post-game commentary afterward accusing Tim Stutzla of being a diver and that he's embarrassing and he lies on the ice. I don't even want to get into that, but Greg, how hypocritical is it coming from that guy? Yeah, like that was the stupidest part of it. You know, there, there, there is some truth to it. 
you know, you could make an argument that, and both you and I have discussed it, that uh, Timmy Stutzler goes down a little easy. Maybe he does embellish a little bit. You could make the argument, as as Gallagher did, that somebody on the team should go to him and say, hey, look, kid, that's not the way you want to be, or you don't want that kind of reputation. But, you know, hello, pot, it's me, the kettle. You know, like coming from Brendan Gallagher is just, it takes all the wind out of it right away. Let's play the clip. Right after the game, the Sens win 6-3, and this is what Brendan Gallagher had to say about Tim Stutzla. When I was 10 years old, our coach had a rule, if you lay on the ice and we didn't have trainers, if the coach had to come on the ice and get you, you know, you're too hurt to play. You had to sit for minimum three shifts. He's a great player. Played against him for two, three years now. More than half the games we've played against him, he's laid on the ice. And he's right back out there next shift. He lays on the ice. He acts like he's hurt. He sells a call. He's on the ice, that same power play. It's, you know, there's kids watching. Uh, models. If I was a teammate of his, I'd tell him to smarten up. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's just not a good look. Very talented player, very good player. He needs to stop laying on the ice. It's embarrassing. So there's Brendan Gallagher. I threw a little laugh track in there. You know, I just found the whole thing quite laughable. And and the diving thing, I don't even get in this case, because I mean, it, to me, diving is generally, you know, an infraction that never occurred. That you're you're making it look like there was an infraction. Like this was clearly a trip coming from Suzuki, was it not? Oh, for sure. He stayed, I slowed it down and looked at it a couple of times, and the knee did go out a little bit. Um, but it, I mean, it wasn't just that there was, there was one or two earlier in the game, but even the high stick where his head snapped back, the stick hit him. Like it wasn't like it hit him across the chest and he snapped his head back two seconds later. It, it was a high stick. So in this case, with, with what went on in this game, Gallagher has no argument. If he wanted to talk about past situations, he's got a much easier argument to make because there have been a few where like, like, let's be honest, there have been a few where you could argue that, yeah, that was a dive, but no way. I didn't think any of them were last night. I I do think that, you know, there's a chance that maybe he was milking it, trying to get a call, but I don't know for sure one way or the other, because isn't it entirely possible that he got clipped? He's down actually in pain. And then as he gets up, he realizes, okay, it's not too bad. I can skate on this. It's all good. And then he goes out, for the power play. I think he might have stayed down longer than he needed to. I think he might have gone down a little too uh dramatically. Uh, I I yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. I, I yes, he was hit. Yes, it was an infraction. But I think he went down a little too dramatically and stayed down a little too long. And they also showed him on the big screen and he actually had a smile on his face. Yeah. Yeah. That's not that. Good. If I'm DJ Smith, I'm definitely having a conversation about that. But Gallagher's a joke. Exactly. This guy, again, I saw it in a couple of places on Twitter. It was absolutely great where Sens fans went to town on it. Gallagher said what he said, and you heard the clip just now, and somebody tweeted that video out. And then the replies were absolutely jam packed with one example after another, Brendan Gallagher very clearly diving, like Greg Luganis diving level. That's the only diving name that I could think of offhand. <laughs> Is there any other divers? 
I, I, there are, I'm sure. Are I think <laughs> they, uh, we had a, uh, what was the guy's name? The uh, French Canadian kid that we had. Sure. Okay. Pelche. Pelche. Yeah. Yeah. That say. sounds right. Piche. Uh, I was going to say Piche, but Pelche sounds better. Alex Pelche. Anyway. I, uh, there was a nice take today on the radio from, from one of our mutual friends who's known for going off on rants. I think you know who I'm talking about, mm-hmm. who said that today was the sixth and six is a big number. Brendan Gallagher is on year one of a six-year contract that pays him $6.5 million, and he has six goals. Wow. Like, you know, yeah, the basic gist of it was, shut up, Brendan. Yeah, he's been dinged up a lot, and I think that's going to continue. He's He's got a lot of hard miles on that small frame. One thing I'll say about Gallagher, he works as hard as anybody, and he goes to the dirty areas gladly. Uh, but I think that that's probably going to be the next five years, not only lacking in production, but actual lacking in being on the ice. Yeah, but we'll yeah. see. Some other things about the game that I want to talk about. Drake Batherson, who uh, is actually was scheduled to be on the show today, but uh, we just had uh, scheduling issues. So uh, he'll come back on our next uh, next show or next week, one of the two. Uh, but he got on the board. Good to see him. He ended up with a winning goal. And then on the fifth goal, a beauty setup of Colin White, who wired one home. Good to see Drake Batherson getting on the board, isn't it? Well, you see it game after game. He's got his legs under him. Um, it's 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 visible to see a confidence level rising, right? He, he obviously feels much more comfortable on his on his skates, much more comfortable with the pace. He's handling the puck more. He's doing more. He's coming along, coming along, and he'll he'll be back to his full self if he's not already. He'll be there within another game or two. It's funny how when the stats aren't there that people just start making assumptions. And I agree that he seems to get better each game. And but I, I thought he's had lots of looks. Oh God, yes. For a high ankle sprain that sometimes will linger even after you get back in the lineup. I thought he's been really good. Yep. I I, I agree totally. And 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 if you go back and look at some of the power play, a part of the reason the power play is is back to where it should be, or if not even better, not just the return of Norris, but the return of Batherson. And you you look at some of those power play goals, it's often Drake, who's the one who's going to pounce on a loose puck and, and and create his own turnover with a giveaway, with a takeaway, and get the play started with the puck moving around. And it's like, if there was a third assist, he's there. You know, He's the guy who digs out those pucks and gets them started a lot of the time. I'm wondering how he's feeling about, I don't want to call it a demotion, because I'm not sure one line is more talented than the other right now, but he, of course, has been riding shotgun with Josh Norris and Brady Kachuk for quite a while. And by the way, since we last got together, Josh Norris has gone off. He reaches the 30-goal plateau on the season. And man, oh, man. Cha-ching. Yeah, we've been talking about that. Make that S in Norris a dollar sign because, yeah, cha-ching all the way. And he's uh, he just seems to get getting wealthier and wealthier by the game. But we've talked that to death. Batherson drops down. He's now playing with Stutzla and Formanton. What do you think of that move? And Matthew Joseph gets Batherson's role on the right side on the top line. Well, it's it's let's face it, it's not something that we haven't talked about. Uh, the especially on the road, spreading things out a little um, gives you two lines that might be more of a threat. Two lines that uh, that a coach has to make a decision, an opposition coach. Okay, who's the top D going to play against? Who's my checking line going to play against? It actually can be much more beneficial, statistically speaking. Uh, for for Drake and Stutzla to be playing together because they, they, they're they going to play against lesser. Hopefully, they're not going to play against top checking units. They're not going to play against shutdown pairs. And it gives the Senators more scoring depth 
just by one little move. Matthew Joseph, he's again got Batherson's spot, and it really is hard to argue with nine points in his last three games. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, he's only been here a short time, and it's such a small window to examine what this player is. But I mean, there's a real opportunity here, a real chance that with that stud factory in Tampa Bay, this is an amazing junior scorer, by the way. Um, Thomas Shabbat's old junior teammate at St. John. He had excellent stats there. He's crazy fast. He's really good defensively. And now he's getting an opportunity with top six minutes that he'd never in a million years get in Tampa Bay. And he looks fantastic in it. What are your early thoughts on Matthew Joseph? Well, I, my first thought is like, good for him. You know, he's yeah. been, he was given, you always talk about somebody, there's lots of injuries and the coach will always trot out the, well, you know, it's an opportunity for others to step up. And well, here's a guy who did it. He stepped up, You not necessarily from injury, but hey kid, we're going to try out here so we can make this switch there and move this guy there. We want you to play here. And instead of just, hey, I'm a placeholder, you know, I'm just going to fill in here and while they experiment elsewhere, he stepped right up. And he's looked great, and uh, he's been right up there with Connor Brown in ice time. Like the the one Detroit game, he actually led the led the forwards in time on ice. Uh, so he's earned it. He he got it. He took it, and he's running with it. Good for him. Yeah, and there's not there's nothing I don't like about his game right now. Like literally nothing. He's he's getting involved. Offense is there. Obviously, he makes clever plays. He angles beautifully. And who's the first guy back? When it comes to a back check of the forwards, who is the first guy back every single time, even if he's not the closest guy to the puck carrier coming out? Matthew Joseph, you watch him on the back check, that's a coach's dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's Connor Brown fast. Yeah. Right, he's Connor Brown with speed. Um, and just uh, and it just it makes everything go. The whole idea of a top six now kind of changes Okay, now what are we doing, right? Like Connor Brown got moved down. Uh, is is Formanton really there or not? None of those questions matter anymore if they're going to keep producing the way they're producing. And certainly his hands and his vision were on display in that Montreal game. That goal by Kachuk. Michael Delzado with a slick pass to Joseph to the goalie's left. And Joseph puts it right back to Kachuk and he's got nothing but empty net to shoot at. I was really bleeding on about keeping Nick Paul and I still would have liked to but I had no idea they'd be able to pull the rabbit out of the hat the way they have with this Joseph deal. Like, and, and for all the talk about the Sens pro scouting woes, that <laughs> is a freaking home run by the look of it. Yep. So far, so good. Yep. <laughs> I like the knocking of wood. All right. Uh, one last thing on that game. Montreal was the, I'm told the Islanders did it too on their PK, but Montreal is the first team I've actually noticed going out to actually cheat on Josh Norris on the power play. Josh Norris's one-timers on the power play have been absolutely lethal and opposing teams as they get ready for the Sens. They've been noticing that. So the Habs really started cheating and sliding out toward Norris on the power play. Most of the time it was Paul Byron doing that and the idea, of course, to prevent the one-timer. So, coach's corner time. (laughs) How can the Sens in their power play set up or some kind of set play? How can the Sens take advantage of that? Well, I, I wouldn't change the setup because as long as he's out there and people want to overplay him, it plays into your hand. So I'd keep the setup the way it is. 
it's what you're now going to work as your sets, as your set plays. And you saw it a lot, especially the Montreal game, a lot. You watch uh, Stutzla come up the wall and curl around. Even though he's not on his off wing, he's not a one-time guy, but he comes up and curls around and gets that pass from, in this case, Brandstrom nowadays. So we're getting a lot of that look where then he comes down that lane and can shoot or Batherson pops out to the goal line, you know, with a play where he goes straight down to Batherson and Kachuk pops out into the slot. So basically he goes branched him to Stutzler, Stutzler to Batherson at the goal line, and Batherson one touch to the slot to to Brady Kachuk. That play is there all the time. So you it opens up the opportunities for a shot from Stutzler or the down low and, and a pop out to Kachuk in the slot. But it also opens up the, as Stutzler comes around the top, he doesn't necessarily have to shoot. Kachuk can pull off to the back door. So he's sort of like uh, Norris spot, but much lower. And there's a back door one T. So there's all kinds of other options. So I, I wouldn't change a thing. If people want to suck out and, and, and get drawn to cover off Norris, just work your other sets, boys. And they did a lot of it in the Montreal game. Yeah. Some will say, okay, hey, hey, what are you talking about? Obviously, the Sens did adjust because they did get two power play goals. They went two for four in the power play. But I will say this, Montreal didn't do it every time. Um, And a couple of times where they didn't, Josh Norris starts out with a puck. He's got time and space in those cases. And that resulted in the goal for Batherson that wins the game. And the earlier goal to Tim Stutzla on uh, on the rebound. Those were both Josh Norris starting those with lots of time and space. Other power plays where Josh Norris was taken away, the Habs had a lot more success on the PK. So uh, interesting stuff for sure. It's all read and react, right? Like we're, we're going to come out, we're going to set up the way we always set up. We're going to move the puck around and we're going to wait and see what you do. And whatever you do, we're going to react to it accordingly. If you do X, we're going to do Y. If you do A, we're going to do B. Mm-hmm. This, These are the kind of things, this is what the video is all about, right? The, the, the boys have a five-minute video session on the power play before every game where they'll look at opposition PK. They're looking for tendencies. They like to do this. They like to do that. Remember, guys, if they do this, we switch off and start doing more of this versus less of that, right? So it's all read and react to what you're given on the ice. And any good team is going to have a mixture of things they're going to do on the PK, just like you're going to have a mixture of things you do on the power play. So that when you come out and try one thing and they start doing this thing, then you it, it's back and forth is tit for tat you've done this now we're going to adjust here oh wait a minute the other team says now we got to adjust and do this so it's all read and react throughout the course of the game and if you give them two looks two different looks on the same power play or two different looks as a penalty killing unit that just screws with people even more it sure will be great when the Sens have Thomas Shabbat and they have Jake Sanderson because right now this is still a team even though that first unit looks pretty good that second unit is still trucking Colin White, who many people still believe will be bought out at the end of the year. Colin White, and um, who's the other one that was out there? Well, Godet uh, got some power play time. Yes, Adam Godet was the other name that I was thinking <clears> about. <throat> Those two guys just shouldn't be on a power play. Um, you know, nice bottom six guys, sure. You can make that argument, but they shouldn't be on your second unit power play. And right now, the Sens are forced to use four forwards on each, and uh, I don't think, ideally, you want those two guys out there, to be honest. Yeah, it's just it's just one more thing on the list that we can't wait to see. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to see a lot of things, uh, be it by the end of this month or the start of next season. Uh, the depth of this team just is going to go climb rockets into the air with the, with the depth uh, that's going to come in here. How much more talent there's going to be, 
and how much more things they can do. And again, we it's an overused phrase, but once the slotting gets set and guys are playing where they're supposed to play, it's it should be nothing but gravy. I don't know how I feel about, particularly with this team in its situation, I'm not sure how I feel anymore about late season winning streaks. The big time mixed emotions, I think, because... I mean, we talked about this last year when the Sens started going good. People were going, well, is that a good idea? Because you're, you know, your draft lottery order, you know, you're, you're worsening things as far as your ranking with every victory. And people would counter this time last year with, you know what, it's time to get this team in a winning culture situation. And well, yeah, okay. So they did that and they've <laughs> come up and now they're a lottery team again. So I, I'm, I'm, I still have the same thoughts of last year, but I, I don't know. I'm not sure where I'm at. Can you reassure me one way or the other that a three-game win streak is good or bad? Well, I, I, I'm not looking at wins and losses, Steve, and I, and I doubt that the Senators are either. I mean, to a certain extent, they are. But for the most part, you're looking at individual development. You you always talk about it. You want them to start uh, getting out the mixer there and start uh, the mad scientist. They're mm-hmm. trying different things, different looks, different players in different situations, and whatever result they get, they'll take but it's more of a, an individual and a team assessment at this point of, in time. And if the wins come, the wins come. If you go and look at the stats, you could probably Google it somewhere. The, the actual odds f- of winning the lottery first or fifth is the difference is so minimal that if you really sat down and looked at it, it it's not really making all that much of a difference for the senators. If they finish 10th from the bottom versus eighth from the bottom or fourth from the bottom. So that's probably not entering into it at all. It's just an opportunity for everybody to continue to grow, to continue to develop in different scenarios than maybe they've been in before. Right. All right, let's take our first time out on the program. When we come back, we'll talk about the Sens as an organization. Pretty amazing that it sounds like for the first time in a very long time, they seem to be on the same page as the folks at OSEG. We'll get to that after these words and of course the show is brought to you by jim k ford reignite your love for driving with a new ford from jim k ford take a test drive today and see all of the latest innovations available for new ford vehicles at jim k ford you can also custom order your next ford vehicle to ensure you get the exact vehicle you want at the right time pre-order today at jim k ford in orleans or jimkford.com Let's change gears, talk a little bit about the organization, because, of course, uh, last week was around this time we were all talking about the passing of owner Eugene Melnick. You know, what's next for this organization from an ownership standpoint? Who's going to own the Senators? And what about a new arena? Um, How will things move forward here? And a really interesting thing occurred. Bruce Garriock reported it out of the gate this morning that suddenly the Sens are in on good terms. With the 67s and Red Blacks owners, Ottawa Sports and Entertainment Group, they've had a really rocky relationship, but it's a positive for pro sports in Ottawa. These two sides are now going to work together on a joint bid for the World Juniors. It was going to be the Sens and Quebec City. Uh, that got nixed, and uh, Oseg enters the fray, and suddenly they seem to have a relationship again. What say you about it? Yeah, this, the same thing I said a week ago, Steve. It just everybody needs to sit down and relax, and let's wait and see what direction uh, the group takes from here. Uh, what kind of uh, are lawsuits going to be dropped? Are new friendships going to be formed or reformed? And I think it's still a work in progress as to how it's going to end up. 
but this is really good news for the immediate future of how things are proceeding now. And let's face it, it's much better from a Hockey Canada standpoint to have the World Junior in the same city. Uh, it's way better for Ottawa itself from a, uh, a tourist uh, money, from hotel rooms, from all that sort of stuff. It's much better for Ottawa to have it, the two rinks in the one city. Uh, I, I think it's great. I, it's wonderful to see them back together, uh, cohabitating, <laughs> working together on a on a joint bid. And uh, I, I hope they win. Like, I'll, I'm ready to go see it. Yeah, no doubt. The New World Order also brings other issues up uh, that uh, have been issues in the past uh, and wondering, will they be resolved now? You know, the LeBreton thing, I feel confident now. I really feel confident that there will be an NHL arena at LeBreton Flats. I feel confident now that they will mend fences with the greatest player in franchise history and Daniel Alfredson, who has run screaming from the organization on at least two occasions, maybe three, I forget. Uh, you lose track after a while. If you count as signing with Detroit, I guess it's three. So, I mean, that's a big deal. Those things are big, big deals. And again, I hate that the circumstances were what they were that has uh, has created all this. But the reality is there's a lot of positives coming down the pipe for the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, and don't forget Chris Phillips, too. He, he, right. uh, he went to Toronto and attended the funeral. I thought that was a really good sign. Um, yeah, there's a lot of fence mending to be done with a lot of different things. It, it, you didn't even talk about the relationship with the city with the mayor's yeah. office, you know, with with businesses within this city too. Um, there's a lot of fences to be mended, and hopefully people have got their toolkits out and they're they're willing to work. Yeah, and maybe some other old employees come back. I think about Cyril Leader. He's still here in town uh, working in the business community. And, uh, yeah, uh, so sky's the limit on uh, where this team could be headed uh, over the next little while, but uh, obviously we'll be all over the news as it comes along. And speaking of the future, prospect watch time, I'll ask you this question. When does it stop being worthwhile getting Jake Sanderson some NHL games this year versus shutting him down? Like, is it one game left in the season? Is it three, (laughs) five, seven, ten? Or does it matter? Like, if he's available for one game, you go ahead and say, yeah, get in there and get a taste. Obviously, it's a health question. I'm not a doctor. But to me, if he is ready to go, then he should play whenever that may be. And if that means it's game 82, then yeah, let the kid play the game. I, I, I don't know. What are you thinking? If it's only going to be one or two games, then I might go ahead and shut him down and make sure he has a great, because the last thing you want is a, you know, tweaking the injury and suddenly he doesn't have a great summer in the gym. Like I want to make sure more than get an NHL taste right now, because he'll get that in the preseason next year. I just want to make sure he's good and healthy to have a great uh, summer in the gym because, as with Tim Stutzla, there's a lot of uh, body development that has to occur there. He seems like, just having seen him in his civvies, he certainly looks like he's really thin. So I think there's some bulking up to be done, and I'd hate to see him miss a summer because he got into a game now, game or two now, rather than in the preseason. That's how I feel. Yeah, I mean, Shane Pinto, I I feel the same way on Shane Pinto. If he's not 100% healthy, he's not playing. Or you right. know what? I'd, I'd even say if he's not 125, percent you know, he not just healthy enough that yeah, okay, you can play. No, let's with both of them. Make sure it's like, yep, this is the exact thing, the right thing to do at this time. He's okay, he can play. Then, then yeah. I'd, I'd love to see both of them. But if it doesn't happen, then there are many benefits to that too. 
there's nothing wrong with a kid leaving here hungry to play and hungry all summer to get ready to play in the fall. Boy, the end boards have been nasty to the Ottawa Senators, their prospects and such. Just getting away from prospect watch for a second here. Tyler Ennis, the latest to go into the end boards with a season ender. And you feel badly for that guy because he's so universally well-liked. He is, you know, a, a, a nice depth piece on any NHL team. And here he is. He'll be a UFA before long here. And he's going to miss the rest of the season. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's going to be in Ottawa next year, but for his sake, it would be nice to see him recover and, and get an opportunity to play somewhere next year, where that, wherever that may be. He, I think he's kind of used to it now. The, the king of the one-year deal, hopping from here to here, wherever he has to go. Yeah. Uh, the hard-hitting Tyler is also part of our prospect watch here. We talked about Jake Sanderson and how we'd handle him as he comes off of injury. Tyler Clevin, according to Sean Simpson, uh, Simmons says, is going to 100% return to UND next year, according to Simmer. And I don't think there's many Sens fans who'd have a big problem with that. No, he, he would not be playing for the Senators next year anyway, if he did come out. Um, maybe it's a, it's a case of, as as I don't, we talked about this a week or two ago, if I'm the father, I'm, I'm like, yeah, go to school. Like, you're not a superstar. He's not going to be a top two. He's probably not going to be a top four defenseman in the NHL. So what's wrong with having a degree? What's wrong with finishing your school or at least a third year of it? Um, the other side of it is what's wrong with going back there and being the best defenseman on the team next year, being the captain, being the guy that the, the minute muncher, it's just it, the benefits of being there are, are, are heavy. There's a lot, there's a lot of benefits there. Are there benefits to playing in the AHL? For sure. It's a better league, better competition, better test of him, better development possibilities. But I just think that, that the right thing for him in this situation at this stage of his career and with the situation the senators are at, I think he's best to go back to school anyway. Yeah. And it's one of those deals where it's not a bad situation, no matter what the decision is. Sure. You'd like to have a crystal ball and see, okay, which parallel universe will we go down and see which is the actual better development model for this point in his career. Is it going to Belleville? Is it going to UND? You can't drive yourself crazy with that. You make your best decision, and I don't think either one is a particularly bad one. I think they're both going to be fine. And so, um, and schooling, you know, education is always a good thing. You you just uh, you don't look at Tyler Clevin and say yes, one hundred percent NHLer. So there's always something to fall back on. Potentially. And from a senator's from a senator standpoint, they would want him in the A. They want him right. in Belleville next year. They're practicing there, working out there, better players, stronger players different scenarios even practicing with them would be better than being in North Dakota yeah. but from a personal standpoint as the player and the young man developing as a human being leadership skills intangibles uh, all those sorts of things being put into a different role and what comes from that he would be better as a person to to be at UND another great positive how many times have we talked about Tyler Boucher and our concerns about him and that hey could be a nice player for the team no question about it but when you're picked 10th overall, just, you know, that valuable a pick that use on you, you pretty much have to go back and, and prove that, you know, you can be roughly a point-a-game scorer at the amateur level. Tyler Boucher hadn't been doing that. Part of it's health. Well, guess what Tyler Boucher has done in the last six games? <laughs> he has a point-a-game. He has seven points in his last six games, and good to see him heating up. Good to see him finding a comfort zone, and uh, that, I think, if he can just continue with that through the rest of the season, 
I think that will buoy the spirits of the average Senator fan. Yeah. And you, you continue like that. That looks real good for the future. I'd, I'd love to see him play a full season with the 67s next year and put up like 40 goals and 65 points or something. That would be phenomenal. And, and, and the pace he's on it, it, it's possible. That's something he could do. Let's close it out today, Coach, with uh, telling you about the next game. The Sens will be taking on on Thursday, April 7th, the Nashville Predators. And in that game, it will be the first game back in Ottawa for Mark Borvietsky, the return of Boro Cop. And uh, he really did have some great times here, obviously. And he's doing what he always does. He had two fights in the last game. He's leading the NHL in penalty minutes this season. Doesn't look like we're going to have to reacquaint ourselves with Mark Borvietsky because he seems like he's the same guy he always was. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the video tribute for Boro, huh? Everybody gets them nowadays. Doesn't matter who you are or how many games you played somewhere all across the NHL, you get a video tribute. The Boro one will be good. Yeah, I just hope they play back that awkward interview with Eugene Melnick (laughs) at some point in the video because that was a highlight for me. Well, that was so awkward. All right, let's close it out there and tell you that our website is sensnationhockey.com. All kinds of cool articles, everything about the show that you've secretly wanted to know, but we're afraid to ask. You'll find the answers there. Again, sensnationhockey.com. Greg, enjoy the Masters. That will be underway. We'll try and get another episode in here in the next couple of days. Uh, So enjoy all that, and we'll talk to you next time. For sure. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SendsNationHockey.com.